This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And so I want to give a special thank you to Stephen Byrne and Eve England, who both just signed up this week to support us on Patreon, and to Carl Watson, who just made a one-time contribution to the show via PayPal. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 399 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new Netflix series, The Witcher, based on the novels by Andrew Sapkowski. And this will involve spoilers for all of season one, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Anthony Ha, making his 17th appearance on the show. He covers media, advertising, and pop culture for the news site TechCrunch, where he also hosts the podcast Original Content. A chapbook of his short stories called Love Songs for Monsters was published by Youth in Decline in 2014. And his short story, Late Train, appeared in the February 2019 issue of Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Hello. The next up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her 11th appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's the former script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and is currently a staff writer at WWE's Friday Night Smackdown. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. And also joining us today is Jillian Conahan. She's a professional costumer, former editor of Vogue Patterns Magazine, and it's author of the book The Hero's Closet, Sewing for Cosplay and Costuming. Her writing has also appeared in Discover and Apex Magazines, and she won first prize in the cosplay contest at Keystone Comic Con 2019 for playing Siri from The Witcher 3. So Jillian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's start off with Anthony. And have you just tell us about what sort of expectations did you have going into Netflix's The Witcher? I went in with pretty close to zero expectations. Um, I had heard of the video games and knew that they were a big deal, but had never played them. And I, and again, I'd sort of followed a little bit of the run up to the series, particularly, you know, the casting of Henry Cavill, the question of whether or not, you know, the, what role that may have played in, um, you know, his, continuing or not continuing to be Superman. But I mean, this was all sort of just like vague background noise to me. I had never read the books, never played the games. And so I went into it almost entirely fresh. Um, I think a friend of mine had seen the, uh, some of the screeners, some of the like screeners for some of the first few episodes early. So he told me that it was pretty silly. And I don't think that was an inaccurate assessment, but uh, I, I went in with low expectations, and, and I would say, not to jump too far ahead, but I think I exceeded them pretty pretty healthily. Hmm. How about Andrea? Any expectations going into The Witcher? Absolutely none. I, I also had no experience uh, of the books or the games. I'm not a gamer, so um, I had heard of them, but that was the extent of it. So it was just uh, my expectations were for seeing Henry Cavill in a tight shirt. Um, <laughs> And, or, or and no those, shirt. and, and those expectations were exceeded, shall we say. <laughs> um, 
the hair, on the other hand, but that's a whole other thing. But any in any case, uh, yeah, I no, nothing knew nothing about the show, anything about it. So, um, yeah, went in blind, so to say, so, so to speak. Yeah, so so like you guys, I uh, I'm sort of aware of the games, but I've never played them, and I knew that they were based on this series of books by a Polish author, but I've never read them, so I, I had no real expectations on that account. And um, but when I saw the trailer, I thought the trailer looked like it had a much bigger budget than I had been imagining. And so that got me kind of uh, kind of interested in the show. Um, and then how about Jillian? Uh, we've got a ringer here who does know a lot about <laughs> the uh, the books and the game. So what sort of expectations did you have going into the the TV show? Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> so I I played The Witcher three. I spent about two years uh, playing through, uh, hitting every single side quest, every single map icon. Uh, and I had read all the books last year. Um, so my expectations going into the show, uh, I pretty much felt like this could be really good or really bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, the books are very much kind of a stock sword and sorcery. Um, there, there are a lot of things to like about them. There's also a lot of what I would call sexist set dressing, uh, <laughs> a lot of characters getting their shirts ripped off for no reason. It's, uh, a time. And, uh, the game is kind of a parallel continuity and it's a lot of the same characters, a lot of the same events and especially the same backstory. Uh, but it kind of takes a very different perspective on the whole thing. Um, and, I think because I played the game first, I enjoyed the books more um, because I was already attached to the characters. Uh, so I felt going into the show that it could be uh, the kind of stuff you can't stand to watch because it's uh, like a bad sword and sorcery uh, show, or it could be uh, more like the game in that it's, uh, has the humor, it has, uh, does more to develop the characters and, uh, to present the, uh, the world in a more, um, structured way, uh, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah. Well, so why don't you, t I mean, you said you read all the books and, uh, my understanding is that there's like two short story collections and then like another seven or so novels after that. Is that, is that right? Uh, I think there might be seven or eight total, including the short story collections. Okay. Um, the show is mostly based on the two short story collections. Hmm. Um, and you can, you can identify specific short stories that became episodes of the show. Uh, but, uh, for example, Yennefer's entire backstory is a couple of paragraphs in one of the short stories. Hmm. Um, so they pulled two entire episodes of show out of a very thin amount of material in the books. Yeah, and so I hadn't realized watching the show, I thought the books were more recent, you know, that they were sort of from the mid-2000s, which is when they were published in English, but they were apparently originally published in Polish uh, starting in like 1986 or something. I think I have it here. Um, but so they really mm. have more, much more of the flavor of kind of 80s sword and sorcery fantasy than, than I was expecting. 
um, mm-hmm. would you do you agree with that that they have sort of an eighties the books have sort of an eighties yeah yeah they there is a lot of that <laughs> yeah um so then the 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 one thing that sort of lowered my expectations a lot going into this is that a lot of my friends were posting, and especially like I had a bunch of friends who were fans of the um the books and or the games who said that they gave up on the show after the first episode, so mm-hmm. that you know, but then I had other people who said, oh, it's enjoyable so um so I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. Um, but um, I guess I would. Well, how about all? Let's go. Let's go back to Anthony. Um, just what was your uh, re- reaction when you actually sat down and watched uh, episode one? It was, I would say, fairly mixed because um, I thought the um, Geralt storyline, which, if I recall correctly, is, is most of that episode, uh, was pretty generic. So it, it um, you know. Shows him first kind of, I guess, monster killing, which, which is fun, but then focuses on this. He gets pulled into this intrigue with this wizard named Stragabor, and he wants to kill this woman named Renfrey. Um, and I, I just found that storyline not compelling at all. And, and I'm not entirely sure why that was, but it just felt like I wasn't interested in any of those characters. I felt like Geralt in those early stages is just this very kind of stock stoic hero um and and i found the the Actually, other storyline let, let me jump in there because it's funny because i was watching it with the uh su- the subtitles on and so like half of his dialogue is just like hmm and it's just like everything <laughs> <laughs> it just says like, hmm, at the bottom of the screen so yeah so sorry so go ahead <laughs> no um so there's a second storyline that's um about princess cirilla and this kingdom and i found that again like not incredibly uh i didn't even that wasn't like an amazing piece of storytelling but i found that considerably more compelling um and and about this sort of invasion from this kingdom called nilfgaard but what i really liked about it was the relationship between cirilla and her grandmother and then this sort of father figure who's married to her grandmother but i but it's not actually her her grandfather um and and that stuff was really where I, I found kind of more promising and, and interesting. And then how quickly, you know, that storyline accelerates to the point where um their kingdom has fallen and 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 um uh Cirilla is is you know fleeing and captured and and so I, I would say that at that point I was like, I'm not crazy about this show. I I like enough of it that I'm willing to keep going. But but I I think that you know looking back that the first episode is is argue the first two episodes maybe are are the weakest of the show. Yeah. How about Andrea? What were your uh, response to the first episode? Um, I didn't have that gut response of oh this is fantastic I got to keep watching it. It was a pleasant and entertaining enough that I was went on to the second episode and the third episode, but it it wasn't gripping. Um. But it it got better for me, and the thing that struck me, and I think I might have said this to you at some point, was that it was it's a lot more um, episodic than I thought it would be, because I had no idea what this was. I knew, I mean, I knew it was novels, I, but I had no idea it was based on short stories. Totally made sense once I found out that it was short stories that it was based on. Um, but I think they did for me a. a I mean, aside from Henry Cavill, um, a lot, a really good job of making me like the characters. Um, and that's what I was sticking around for. Um, so that was, that was my impression. And that's how I ended up watching the whole thing and how I ended up really, uh, 
at the end of the day, really enjoying it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say I ended up, um, not to get too far ahead, but yeah, I ended up liking it just fine. So I'm going to say some negative stuff about it. So Witcher fans don't don't tune out yet if mm-hmm. you want to hear me say <laughs> more positive things uh, as we go. But yeah, I, I honestly probably, if I wasn't watching this show to review it, I honestly probably would have turned it off. I definitely would have turned it off during the first episode. Uh, it's just a question of how far into the first episode I would have gotten. It's entirely possible I would have turned it off after the first scene, which is this like, he's like yeah. fighting this giant CGI spider. And it's just like this. totally yeah. ridiculous. Terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it looked um, terrible. But so, and also, I mean, and also, you know, I, I was a little, dis- I was expecting just knowing that it was based on some books, I was expecting it to be a little bit more serious and a little bit more illiterate, you know, a little bit more in the Game of Thrones kind of um, arena. Um, and the th- and I know, like, you know, obviously I, I like fantasy and I just, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, they're going to just mention all these names and everything that you're not going to know and you just have to accept that. But even granting that, I found a lot of the stuff completely incomprehensible and yeah. throughout yes. especially like the first three or four episodes i was just constantly pausing it and and saying i must have missed something because this scene yep. just seems like a complete non sequitur like yep i must have missed something and i would go back and I'm like no i didn't miss anything this just makes no sense or just doesn't yep. flow logically to me in any way yep. um <laughs> so uh, so andrea you're you're saying yep oh I yeah i agree with, i agree with all of it that was i did the exact same thing i would stop i would rewind and I'd be like, did I miss what they're talking about? And I'd play it again. I'm like, no, this is just the most obscure, vague dialogue. I have no idea what these people are talking about. Um, and, and I think the biggest problem I had with it overall in that regard is that I had no idea how any of this magic worked and they never really explained it. Like there's no, no definition to any of the magic. Like he drinks some kind of potion that makes him stronger, but it's never, it's just like, you know, it's, it's not introduced in a way that feels natural. It's just not introduced at all. He just does it. Um, so that was, you know, my basic, um, biggest concern with it was that the, the dialogue is all a little vague. The magic's a little vague. Um, yeah. And- but I feel weird saying this because at the end of the day, I actually enjoyed watching it, but yeah. But yeah, and like I'm saying, it's not just that they're like, Nilfgaard is doing this, and I don't know what Nilfgaard is. That's just par for the course with fantasy. But it's like, all of a sudden, he's like killing all these thugs in the town square. And I'm not really sure like why or like what's what's going on. You, know, like, you know, it's just like very like, you know, mundane, practical aspects of the plot are totally opaque to me, not just the, the world building. I think that was something that very much suffered from the translation to television um in the short story uh it's heavily implied that um there's additional information going into that fight uh Geralt has heard from other people that uh Renfrey's thugs were involved in a massacre of some large number of people on a previous occasion um so he thinks that he's preventing the entire town from being massacred uh as that's being presented in the short story uh Whereas I think in the show, it's they don't communicate that, and that's uh, a decision that I think makes Geralt come off rather poorly. I mean, so so Jillian, so as you're watching this, having read the story, did it did it seem like it made sense to you with all with your background knowledge, or were you thinking like this doesn't make sense um, as you're yeah, watching? Yeah, and I, going back a minute, um, 
a lot of the dialogue uh, that's making references to other characters and events is actually very pointed. Um, and it's the sort of thing that I think would be very hard to pick up on if you're not looking for it and expecting it. Um, for example, uh, Renfrey drops a line about, uh, you know, at my age, uh, Queen Calanthe yeah. just won her first battle uh, or something like that, uh, and which is grounding us in the timeline. And that's telling us where this story is taking place relative to the princess's storyline. Um, but if you think that's a throwaway line and you're not paying attention, then you're not going to get that yeah. crucial piece of information, which I, is, makes it difficult, I think. Well, I didn't, I picked up probably around the third episode that it was separate timelines. But when I watched the first episode the second time, I caught that line and I'm like, oh, it was right there. But that's the sort of thing you can miss so easily. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but the the timeline thing never bothered me. I, it's it's other things. That... I, I think it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I think if you're like, you you think that all these events. So so basically, yeah. So there's three main characters, Geralt, um, this uh, princess, Cirilla, and uh, this uh, sorceress, uh, Yennefer. And it basically cuts between their stories and spends about an equal amount of time on each one. And at least for me, it seemed like these events were happening contemporaneously. And I found it extraordinarily annoying uh, several episodes into the show when it turns out that these stories are all, uh, you know, like one is happening. It must be like 30 years before the others. And then one is happening yeah. Uh, I guess late, like I guess Geralt's story is sort of leading up to Sorella's story, right? So yes. she's in the future from his point of view. Uh, yeah, but I, I think I don't. I, that drove me crazy. I think there must have been a better way to to handle that. And I think if you're coming in as a fan of the books or the games, you do know that those have a general idea of how those timelines work. Um, so that's probably a key difference in the reception the show's been getting. I would also say that, I mean, for me, it was actually incredibly pleasurable to like have that surprise co come in the, in the third episode where I, I don't know where, when it was for you guys, but the, to me, there's like a very distinct moment where maybe there are clues like in the preceding episodes that you could figure it out. But, uh, you know, where you meet a character, this king as an adult. And then you realize in a different storyline that you, you're seeing him as a child. Yes. And to me, that was like, whoa, like now, like I, like I completely reconfigures how I understand how this story fits together. And I thought that was great. Like that was something that, that I really loved. And, and again, I mean, I, again, that doesn't mean that I like the, it didn't make me retroactively like those early episodes more, but as a twist, I found that really satisfying. And, and I would also say that, I mean, I'm hesitant to talk too much about this because I think it's sort of a spoiler for a different book, but I, there is a very popular Hugo award-winning novel that came out in the past decade that employs a very similar strategy that I think is also an, ex is an example of how this can work really well. Yeah. Well, and did, I, I, well I was just going to say, how did you react to Westworld? Uh, I hated it. I was totally confused oh. the whole time. <laughs> um, okay. And no, I, I think it's it's just too confusing, and especially like like when they when you meet the um the king as a kid, especially since it's in this fantasy world, it's like wait, is this like an illusion? Is this like you know a doppelganger? Is it like could like it's time travel? Like it could be anything, and it's not like 
you know, and it's not like a, it's not like Back to the Future or something where you can tell like, oh, this is the 50s and this is the 80s because the clothes are different. Like all the characters, all all the clothing and their time period all seems the same. And also I might even be getting this wrong, but I feel like Geralt appears in his own story and appears in Cirilla's story. And you can't tell which one it is. Like a scene might open with Geralt, like looking off into the horizon and you don't know whether you're, it's in his story or her story or like what, what year it was. It's just like, I feel like, I, I feel like, okay, I have two ideas about how this should have been handled. So one would be to just like start off in a time period where they're all there and introduce the characters and then have flashbacks to Yennefer's story and Geralt's story. And then the other thing I think might have worked is to just um, not mix the stories all together within the episodes, but have certain episodes that are just Geralt stories. And then interspersed with those are episodes that are just um, Cirilla stories or just Yennefer stories. And I feel like if there was a whole episode where it's like, this is what happened to Cirilla after she fled the city. If I realized that this was not taking place at the same in the same time frame as the Geralt stories, that would be less irritating to me if it's like its own episode it would be easier for me to to separate it and not get confused when we're constantly uh switching back and forth so as a slight caveat to that i would point out that um i i believe that Geralt doesn't actually appear in any of the other timelines um except maybe towards maybe the, the last episode or two where the the timelines kind of catch up to each other but he's mentioned a lot so it is confusing in the sense that he's being talked about a lot in the in the you know Cirilla timeline um but he doesn't act, he's, he's actually off screen for reasons that we find out later on in terms of him being kind of chasing in prison and then injured. And, um, so he doesn't, uh, like, sh- if you see Geralt, it is in his timeline, but I, I do understand why that was still confusing. Well, I don't know. Do you, ex- you count episode four as the end of the show? Because we do see him there, um, six years, something like that before series timeline. Well, it's confused because it's that's still in the Geralt timeline, right? That's just when his Geralt, his storyline intersects with and gives context for the Cirilli mm-hmm. uh, timeline. But technically, it's not a fast forward. That's just continuing See, to follow. Anthony, I, already, I mean, that's part of why it's confusing. Zoned out on what you're saying. This is why. It's <laughs> Fine. I, I mean, I I think the, I'm just if saying there are rules to how they show it. Kills spiders with a sword. It's not like quantum physics. You know, it should be like. <laughs> It should be pretty right. easy to follow. I, I guess what here, here's how I would explain it, and I think it it does follow these rules. Is just that if you see Yennefer, it's distant past. If you see Geralt, it's recent past, and if you see Ciri, it's you know quote unquote present of the story. And um and then you know towards the last episode or two, it starts to bend those rules because the they're catching up to each other. But until then. I mean, I'm not saying it's not confusing, but I'm just saying there is an internal logic to how they show it. Yeah, I think I, I see what you mean in that um, each of the separate timelines does proceed chronologically within that timeline. Yes. Uh, but but then you, they nobody, intersect nobody, with each other in confusing ways. I'm detecting a, a lack of enthusiasm for my ideas about having individual episodes devoting to... Cyrilla's story and uh, Yennefer's story. Well, I, I had no problem with the with the differing timelines altogether. Uh, the minute I realized it, um, I was fine with it. I didn't find it confusing, um, and I, I thought it's you know it's a different way to present it. And I hadn't, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a interesting little twist, personally. 
All right. Well, it seems like I'm in the... I think... (laughs) Well, I think we do see the the story suffering from trying to pack too much into each episode. Um, I'm thinking of when Geralt's talking to the elves, and that's a very rushed, abbreviated bit of dialogue Mm -hmm. that has to cross a lot of distance. uh, And I don't think that works very well. Um, They come around from, uh, we're going to kill you, uh, to... Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe we should. I I don't even know what the conclusion they come to there is because I feel like that, as a bit of dialogue, did not do what it needed to do. Yeah, I also had a serious case of elf whiplash at that part where <laughs> I was like, "Wait, there's elves in this story? Like this? Uh, somebody could have mentioned that earlier." Like, and you know, like all, all the fantasy movies, they they start out with it's like in the beginning the elves created like whatever and. You know, you sort of see watching this why they do that, even though it seems a little hokey sometimes. It's like, oh, okay, at least now I know, I know, I knew in the first minute of the show that there's like elves in this world and like whatever, magic like whatever's. And it's like, it's really, I think it's really important in fantasy since anything could happen to establish as clearly and as quickly as possible what's possible in this world. Like Andrea was saying, kind of with the magic. Like, I mean, obviously you can't establish everything, but like you can mention elves like right at the beginning if elves are like one of the, main races that are political factions in this world. I agree with that in the sense that I, I do think that so much of that, that elf storyline seemed interesting in theory, but because they were so determined to, it, it felt like they were, the whole thing was just compressed into 20 minutes of this episode with, which also introduces Yennefer, which also advances, you know, some of the other storylines. And, and so it was like, we went from, Hey, there are elves. Here's this, you know, terrible history of how the elves were nearly wiped out. And then now we're introducing elves and now we're wrapping up the elf storyline. And that all happened so quickly and just did not make any impact at all for me. It, uh, it puts a lot of weight on Geralt's stirring speech, which I think is not actually good enough to justify that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so I watched this. After I watched the show, I found this YouTube video. It's called How to Fail at Adaptation, The Witcher. Um, <laughs> and the title sounds pretty harsh. The actual video isn't quite as harsh. but um, And it's really it's really good, I think. But he points out that the storyline, the first episode with the uh, Stregobor and Renfri and all that, and um, the Hedgehog Knight guy showing up at the uh, yeah. royal party, that as Jillian was sort of saying a little bit too, that like so much of those stories was left out that they're just completely incomprehensible. And once he explains what actually happens in the short story, you're kind of like, Oh, all right. That actually makes perfect sense. And, um, and so I, again, I think this is why it might've been a better idea to have dedicated Geralt episodes or at least like, you know, 45 minutes of Geralt and then 15 minutes to somebody else. Um, so that you got, cause a lot of those Geralt things, so much going, so much is going on in them that gets left out that it, it just key pieces are missing. Um, and also I felt like Cyrilla's story, not a, like a lot of it could have been cut. Like, um, you know, cause basically like the, um, castle gets sacked and she runs off into the woods and meets Geralt, right? And then everything else that happens, it seems my impression as a first time viewer is not actually that essential to the plot the whole thing with the the elf dara that follows her around the whole thing where they go to like the amazon forest the whole thing where she gets like adopted by the farmer woman it seems like you could just cut all that stuff out and it wouldn't really make any difference and you could use that time to to fill in some of these explanatory uh, exposition things that that are really necessary to just basically understand some of these um 
self-contained stories. Um, I think yeah. also what – go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I see your point there. And, yes, she doesn't advance much as a character. Um, we just see her running around. What we really need to know about her is that she has this weird screaming power, um, which could d- be done quickly. I wish they had, I had seen more of her evolve. Um, she's, she's, she basically spends most of the time learning stuff. And a lot of what she's learning is kind of the undoing her rosy vision of yes. her grandmother's reign. Right. Uh, she, she knew her grandmother as a grandmother, but her grandmother was also, uh, a very violent ruler, uh, yep. and, uh, one who possibly encouraged a lot of really nasty attitudes, uh, among her subjects. Yeah. So, so you think, Jillian, that all that stuff had to be, that all like sets up her character, or do you think that any of it could have been cut out? Uh, it, it pains me to say this because Siri is actually one of my favorite characters. Um, honestly, most of what's interesting about her comes much later. Uh, mm. I think that we do need to see kind of the underbelly of Calanthe's rule. Uh, we need to see, you know, the breaking of those illusions, but I don't think we needed to see them at such length. Um, and I think that of the three storylines, that one is probably the weakest. And uh, I hate saying that because she's one of my favorite characters uh, further down the line. Yeah, I mean, that's your uh, your cosplay champion character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but most of what I like about Siri is much later in the story, and this is why I'm crossing my fingers real hard that we get three, four, five seasons of this. Um, because the best series stuff is definitely still to come. Yeah, and I guess we'll just say that this def- this has 100% been renewed for season two, so it's just a question of whether mm-hmm. it'll go beyond that. But yeah, so mm-hmm. I have with these three stories in my notes, I have this. I thought the series story had a lot of extraneous stuff in it. Geralt's I thought was fun but dumb, and then Yennefer, <laughs> this Yennefer storyline was by far my favorite, and I thought that that was the most interesting um, in terms of both her development as a character and all the sort of political machinations with the brotherhood of sorcerers, whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, so does anyone, does everyone, um, Anthony, what do you think about that? I, yeah, I, I, that, that would, I would say that's my assessment as well. I mean, I think there are things with Jennifer's story also that are, um, you know, that I, I don't think everything about it was, was great. And, and I, and I think there's definitely some stuff to talk about in terms of both how the show treats her, you know, initial, um, uh, disability and then also, you know, how, then how so much of what comes later is motivated by her desire for a child. Um, and, and so I don't think like it's, it's totally like I only liked Yennefer and didn't like Siri at all, but, but I would say that's a fair sort of ranking of the three. How about Andrea? Um, yes, I lo- I did like Yennefer quite a bit. I was, super annoyed by the whole I want a baby thing. Um, you know, at one point I remember she said something about she wasn't given the choice to uh, not lose her womb or uterus. But I mean, she did. She was given that choice. She just <laughs> like you did have the choice. You made the choice. So stop moaning. And also, I just it's, you know, 
why does she feel the need to personally have a baby? Like, do you really need to have your own baby? Can't you just, uh, you know, it's, it's this medieval society with, I would assume, you know, a corresponding childbirth mortality rate. I, I, I assume there's like infants, orphan difference all over the Probably place. Probably a you can't higher just, mm-hmm. mortality rate since they have giant spiders running around. So, like. Right. So you can't just go take a baby or steal a baby or a sorceress. Just go well, steal a baby. This is set up. This so, is set up. I, I, yeah, that was the thing that annoyed me about it. But mm-hmm. overall, I liked the character. She's, she's cynical. She's angry. You know, that's really, that's my wheelhouse for a female character. Um, so I did like her a lot. I did like Geralt, uh, grunting and, uh, <laughs> saying fuck all the time. So, but, um, it's, I think it's interesting that the two main things that people have picked up on not liking about, Yennefer are pretty much all we get about her in the the short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get that uh, we get maybe a, a paragraph total about uh, that she was born and disabled and uh, undisabled herself with magic, um, and that she. I think the the story the dragon came from uh, also mentions that she wants a baby. Um, and really a lot of the other stuff we get about Yennefer has been invented for the show. Um, which, and I think that, sorry. No, I was going to say which parts just, uh, her background at Aratusa. Uh, I think that her, her arc in the show is about undoing her early programming, um, from what we see of what she's being taught, uh, she's being taught to use people. She's being taught to value power above all else. Um, and she's being taught that any sacrifice is worth it in order to have power. So when she later says, well, I, I made choices that I didn't, that I now regret, uh, I, I think that she was making those choices in a state that was programmed by her education. And if she, if, over the course of the show, I think that she is unlearning uh, what she's been taught. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, like like Anthony was, was saying that there are sort of problematic aspects of, uh, you know, I, but I feel like, this show is like problematic or sort of like politically insensitive in pretty much along every axis, <laughs> you know, whether it's, yeah, whether it's disability, race, gender, uh, like anything else you could think of. I mean, and, and that goes along with the eighties kind of eighties fantasy mm-hmm. aesthetic to me. And I feel like I almost don't want to spend too much time talking about it. Cause there's like so much you could say where it was just like, I feel like it'd just be like, you know, in, in a way, the show doesn't like it fails, but it doesn't even try. So I feel like it's not even like I don't, I don't know if I completely agree with that, that I think there are ways in which they did try to have, you know, a more certainly a more diverse cast than you would have had if you were casting the show in the 80s. Um, and and I think that that, you know, that it, the problematic stuff in the Yennefer storyline is they, they do um, 
in some ways, I think at least they acknowledge some of the, the that aspect of it, and so and then they try to like balance certain things out in terms of like how they show many like naked women they show by like mm-hmm. showing um, Henry Cavill uh, as undressed as possible. And again, I'm not saying any of that makes the show good or progressive. I'm just saying well, I don't good think to it's. Me. Right. I just mean that I don't it's know not if he's as um, undressed as possible. It trust me. Uh, he's not I, I as agree. undressed. I, as I simultaneously possible. agree with the statement that it's you know problematic in a number of ways. But I, I also think that they they did. I, I suspect they did think about some of these issues and probably on a lot of them just kind of shrugged and said let's just go with it. But um, I don't want to sort of dismiss it as, as retrograde entirely. I think in some cases, especially with the Yennefer story, they would have had to completely rewrite the source material in order to address some of those issues and they've chosen not to do that which is maybe could be justified or not justified mm-hmm. uh, depending on your perspective yeah mm-hmm. well i mean the show i get the feeling that it's it's pretty um faithful to the source material just it is you know yeah. you know for for good and for bad but i mean yeah, I mean, it would be weird for them to uh, to stay so faithful to like include like fifty different kingdoms that the new coming viewer is never going to understand what mm-hmm. they are, and like <laughs> change major aspects of the story otherwise to you know to give it a more kind of contemporary political sensibility. Uh, I, I sort of yeah, I tend to agree that they're kind of stuck. You know, if unless they wanted to, you know, completely like reboot the whole property, yeah. they're kind of stuck telling the story that they had to work with yeah um all right cool but yeah so 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 with with Jennifer's story though i mean the things that i thought were so interesting about it was i mean i, I loved the part where so oh, let me just i guess i'll just say so she yeah as um jillian was saying she kind of like goes and learns magic uh at this sort of wizard school basically called aratusa and it's very um dark you know i mean one of one of the scenes that i one of the first scenes that i just absolutely loved uh was where the uh her classmates get turned into eels mm-hmm. to like power the yes. school's magical like yeah push your friend into the pool yeah <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> that was that was honestly the moment where the show started to really work for me yeah i agree with that same yeah so that was fantastic and then like it's jumping ahead a little bit but yeah, so so she um you know, she undergoes this magical transformation where she becomes, you know, much more conventionally attractive and goes out into the world and serves as an advisor to different corrupt, uh sort of boring, um, aristocratic families, and then comes back to school as a um, you know, after decades and sort of smokes up with the uh like the undergrads. And I just thought like that was such a, like interesting. It was so interesting to see that 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 growth of that character, and now she's all, you know, beautiful and powerful and cynical and uh, jaded and um, yeah. It, that that was the the part of the show, I think. And then leading up into the the giant like magical siege stuff, yeah. uh, that was the part of the show that really that really really worked for me. Anyone? Everyone just. Is there just complete yeah. consensus on that? I, yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Um, uh, yes. Uh, my, my problem, once again, is that, uh, uh, again, the magic and the parameters of the magic are never fully explained. And I feel like half the time I'm like, well, I have no idea why this is happening, but okay, sure. I just, I did a lot of, okay, sure. 
but it was an exciting battle scene. Um, and watching her hang out, what'd you say? Smoke it up with the undergrads. Um, she smoked up. Yeah. They, they like, she shows them how to mix the earth yeah. and then they're all like smoking together and having hallucinations yep. and stuff like that. Yep. 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 Um, yep. yeah, all of that was great. Um, I, I love a angry woman character. <laughs> I think the one bit of information we are given about how the magic works, um, from the the first lesson where they're wilting flowers sure. all the way through the final battle is uh that magic comes from life and you there needs to be a source for the power that you're using right um like we see it in the the wilting flowers at the beginning we also see it um when fringilla's vaporizing her wizards to mm-hmm. send fireballs at the defenses that was that was great yeah do do we see it much in between though? Because yeah. as I recall, but those are the two instances that we see, and that most of the other magic we see, that there may be some source, but it that whatever is happening is happening off screen for that. Yeah, like when Geralt like force blasts people, or when Yennefer opens up portals, mm-hmm. or, or when she like grabs the uses like telekinesis basically to grab the fireball and deflect it away from the city. I don't recall any sort of mm-hmm. life wilting yeah. at any of that with any of that stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say to the question about rules is like, I don't necessarily, I'm somebody who's very happy to sort of go along with a story that doesn't establish rules and is much more sort of dreamlike or, or kind of random. Um, but I think what is where that does trip me up is when they very much emphasize a rule and, and then, it sort of seems to be applied very inconsistent, mm-hmm. inconsistently, then I'm kind of like, wait, why did we spend time talking about this? And then it seems like there are things breaking the rule. I think it's very consistently applied in Frangilla's story. Um, we see her, uh, there's the other scene where she guts the guy in order to mm-hmm. get information, right? Yes. Um, it seems like she is the one who has most consistently applied the things mm. they learned in school, but she uh she is pretty consistently uh killing people in order to work magic um yeah and it's funny because she's kind of the outcast uh by the end of the story but she's the one who's doing what they've all been taught to do hmm yeah i did i did the the one thing i'll say about that that sort of disappointed me is that you know so they've had this um instructor uh rectoress tessaia devries and she confronts um, the one. You, what was the the evil one you were just talking about? Uh, Fringilla. Fringilla. And I was expecting some epic showdown, and Tessaia just like <laughs> went down like with one punch. Like, what? Talk about a glass jawed wizard, man! <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, because they have sorcerer kryptonite in this setting. Is that what's what? What is the source? That's the dust that uh, uh, the uh, dimaterium is. Uh, the dust that Frangilla blows in her face is like a metal that's like sorcerer kryptonite. But, but was Tissaia um, not expecting that that might happen? Uh, it seems like the Nilfgaardians use it more than anyone else does. It's also it comes up um, when they take Mouse Sack prisoner. Also, uh, I think. Yeah, they, he says uh, they he's... carry him in a dimaterium wagon, right? And that's why he's weakened and right stumbles out. Um, huh. all you need to know about it is that it's sorcerer kryptonite. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I guess. Did did anyone ever? But that's another say thing that's that not in the show. I think that's another thing that you have to either know about in advance or else pick up from the dialogue. Um, maybe when they're talking to Mausek after he stumbles out of the wagon. I do remember him saying something like, uh, you know, I was going to throw up or something. Like, I got the impression that that's what it was. I don't remember anybody ever saying a name of what the substance was, but but I got the gist of it. Was that, what was the, during the siege, they have these blue crystals in jars that that, that seem to be sort of um, explosives. Is that something different? I think that's something different. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, so I liked the, um, I liked the whole wizard battle. And then, uh, as I said, as I was saying earlier, I mean, I had, you know, mixed feelings because I was confused about that scene where in the first episode where Geralt, uh, kills all the, all of, um, Renfri's, um, thugs. But mm-hmm. just from a, um, choreography standpoint, that was a totally badass. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh man. That was so cool. Was fantastic fight. And ending with her, like the fight with her was great too. Mm hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I had made it to that sword fight, um, you know, that would have definitely uh, encouraged me to keep watching. But I feel like, yeah, there's a good chance if I hadn't been reviewing the show, I wouldn't have even made it that far. But I feel like a sword fight like that, they should have opened the show with something like that, man. That would have totally gotten me on board with the show yeah. rather than the spider thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sp- they open with. Sorry, go ahead. It, it seems like they're opening with the humor of the show. Uh more than the the badassery, right? Um, when he looks at the deer and mm-hmm. is, it's not your day. Uh, that that was like, actually I, kind I of it, funny because the guy says, you know, do you want some? The was it the tavern keeper says, do you want food? And he's like, I already ate deer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I I think that's kind of underscoring a a fundamental difference. Uh, from the expectation that you might have had going in where that it would be a serious show or that it would be uh, like this big self-serious fantasy epic, right? Uh, This is saying right from the beginning that this is a show that doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah, I mean, I did think the show was pretty funny and I thought a lot of the humor worked really well. I I wish, I mean... I mean, but there's a lot of humor in Game of Thrones, you know, and, you know, you can have like a, a show that's funny and it takes itself seriously. Although I did, I did really like the, um, the bard guy, uh, Yaskier. 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 Yeah. And yeah. I thought that worked really, I thought that, cause Geralt himself is not that interesting of a character. But then I thought when he, when they sort of buddy him up with Yaskier, that that dynamic worked really well, cause Yaskier is all mm-hmm. enthusiastic and, um, and everything. And then <laughs> Geralt's just like, no. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I thought that was great. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Yaskier is... He kind of goes from the, the closed book to the straight man, essentially, in the relationship. Yeah. Uh, and he's got this bubbly foil to uh, kind of force him to open up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it humanizes him, too. Because, mm-hmm. you know, d- despite the fact that he... Is annoyed by Yaskier. Clearly, he likes Yaskier as well, and he d- he cares about him. Yes. And he, he's mm-hmm. gonna do anything to save him. Right. <laughs> See, Anthony, what do you have? Anything you want to add here? Um, I I agree with everything you just said in terms of like 
the how great it was to have Yaskier in the mix. Um, and I would also say that in general, the show. I mean, I think towards the end, it it sort of becomes more serious, just in the sense that the plot becomes much more important and there's sort of higher stakes. Um, but overall, I liked the fact that the show didn't have this sort of, or or at moments, didn't have this sort of weightiness to it that Game of Thrones had. Um, and that's not to say that it's in any way um, as good as Game of Thrones in its best moments, but just that there's something about um, just like starting an episode and being like, I don't know where this is going. This is just going to be this kind of dumb, fun adventure that I found um, really refreshing at, at this, at this point in time where like, I just felt like when I was watching the final season of game of Thrones, which I will not spoil for you, David. Um, but like, just don't mention anything the... after season four. Cause I haven't watched it. <laughs> yeah. But I will, I will just, I mean, this, there's this feeling of just everything takes on this extra gravity because of, you know, that it's all kind of like coming to an end. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I didn't hate it as much as other people did, but that, that coming to something where it was just so free of expectation and, and so that maybe has less to do with the humor, but I think the humor plays a role in it of just like, Hey, I just want to watch a show and it's fun and I don't need to like, you know, cross examine every element of it. Um, that was a big part of why I think I liked the show, especially early on. Well, and I guess, you know, uh the show definitely gets better and better as it goes. And I, I guess that raises the issue of by the end of the first season, has it basically solved or at least moved past all the major issues, right? Cause the, the timelines have come together. Uh, you kind of know that there's elves and Nilfgaard and you've sort of sorted out all that stuff. Um, what other, you know, I mean the, the tone has gotten a little bit more serious and dramatic. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know if there's really any big. Do you think that's an improvement? Though? Yes, I think it is. I, I do. I, it felt like I like I said my first impression of it was wow, this is a lot more episodic than mm-hmm. I expected it to be, which for me felt like a letdown because I was looking for you know a long term mm-hmm. arc story, and at the end it finally felt like we achieved that, and I liked that more. Yeah, because I just feel like, I mean, like, at the first couple episodes, I was kind of like, this could, aside from the visual effects, I feel like this could be slotted right in with one of our awesomely bad 80s fantasy movies yeah. channels, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked that way, too, like, like visually mm-hmm. similar. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of the aesthetic. Oh, the dragon the is so 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so, um, and there's just a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of cheesy 80s fantasy movies. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. like... Hercule there's a lot of episodes of Hercules the legendary journey and Xena warrior princess you know it's like mm-hmm. if you want sort of like cheesy campy b movie sword and sorcery there's a yeah. lot of stuff like that if you want like actual good you know sword, sword and sorcery slash epic fantasy there's like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and that's pretty much it you know mm-hmm. so you know whatever they can do to increase the supply of that you know it, it just it's just more what I want because because you know mm-hmm. you can find campy stuff all over the place. I think that's a totally fair point, but I do feel like there's this intense pressure towards serialization right now. And so I liked the fact that it resisted that and was episodic at the beginning. And that I, you know, once we got past, I mean, some of the story, you know, the early Geralt storylines that didn't work for me, like just, you know, having him encounter this cursed monster in the third episode um, and, and having his whole story like revolve around figuring out how to lift the curse from this monster. I thought like, 
was great. And, and having some of these other, you know, then there's an episode about this dragon. And, and so I, I enjoyed the episodic quality of it again, you know, maybe just in contrast specifically to, to Game of Thrones, but, well, um, let me just say, I mean, I'm not, it, I mean, there's two separate issues, right? There's like episodic versus serialized and sort of goofy versus serious. And I'm advocating right. more for on the goofy versus serious axis. I'm totally fine. It could be as episodic as it wants. I, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, somehow I'm there's something the other side. I, I prefer more serial, less episodic, because um, it did, in fact, wh- what you said, it felt like, you know, Adventures of Hercules or uh, Xena the Warrior Princess, which I don't, you know, I, I feel, personally, I feel like I've, I personally have evolved past it, so. Um, yeah, so- and I mean, I guess I don't feel that, I guess I felt like there's there's room for something that is, what if we, you know, took the sort of storytelling approach of a Xena or a Hercules and applied, you know, modern day um, production value and, and effects. And though I know some of the effects didn't work for everyone, um, but, you know, just sort of that, that still at its heart, it was a bit more of a throwback. And I, that, that, that didn't bother me at all. I mean, I understand Dave's point about the, the amount of great serious fantasy on television and film is is very small so totally legitimate point but um it didn't bother me that it, it was a little bit that that's what not what it was going for uh, maybe it moves towards that in the end and i like the end in in a different way but it, but i appreciated a lot of the beginning for that lightness i think that the episodic nature also solves a lot of problems. Um, I think Geralt's story would have looked a lot like series if we'd seen it all playing out in real time. And none of us really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt's life is wandering around in the wilderness and gets a job, does job, wanders on to the next town. Um, so I think that, I mean, we're hitting the point where the story in the books crosses over two novels from short stories, but uh, I think until these timelines converge, Geralt's life is very episodic by its nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think treating it that way kind of cuts out a lot of the boring stomping through the mud in the wilderness in between. Well, it, and, it, and that's exactly what I thought the issue was, that this is a, a product um, of the source material as opposed to how the, they felt to do it. Um, so, I mean, you've just confirmed it, what my suspicions were on that issue. So, Cause, yeah, but- because series felt, series story felt the most serialized. Uh, Yennefer and, well, Geralt's is the most episodic, uh, his storyline. Right. At times, it's a literal monster of the week story. <laughs> right. And and his story is also taking place over a very long span right. of time. Right. Um, both he and Yennefer are in the neighborhood of 100 years old. Right. And so there's a lot of catching up between where those stories start and where series story, the main timeline, starts. Right. Right. But so so does everyone feel that this it's basically smooth sailing from here on out? Or are there still major issues? that people have with the show going into season two? I don't have any major issues and I'm certainly all set to watch the second season. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I took all of the issues that I had with it and I kind of just went, okay, whatever. I don't care. It's entertaining. Um, and for me, if it's entertaining, I will come back again. Yeah. I feel a little bit hypocritical after my, um, 
uh, the Mandalorian panel where I was basically saying the exact opposite of what I'm saying now, <laughs> where it's like, oh, it's fun. It's serialized. You know, it's silly. Like, just enjoy it. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I don't, so I don't know. I, I just yeah, I just I guess I just wanted I just thought the it's like the witcher. He's like all dressed in black. And I don't know. I just expected <laughs> it's going to be like dark. And, you know, I don't know. Isn't it supposed to be because he, he like he like fights monsters? He's got a silver sword and all this stuff. It just I don't know. It just seems like a grim dark, like an inherently grim dark property to me. To me, not a. Did you feel like it had gotten grim dark enough by the end of the season for you? Yeah, at the part where um, Fringella is like turning her fellow wizards into uh, artillery bombs, like mm-hmm. that was that was like the level of darkness I wanted the whole show to have. <laughs> but it definitely, you know, that, I don't. It doesn't need to be any darker than that. That's a perfect level of darkness, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would counter that to me it was like there's something about it that's inherently silly that it's a guy who mm-hmm. straps a sword to his shoulder and is and is Henry Cavill you know in his most buff mode wearing you know a not particularly convincing wig going no. from town to town fighting monsters on some level treating it too seriously is to misunderstand the concept I think that the humor and lightness combined with the the grim dark aspects is what makes it's an essential part of the game uh in particular uh you you know you have this kind of apocalyptic plot uh and this grim dark world but there's also a lot of moments where you uh you come to a village and everyone's been turned into pigs and you have to <laughs> turn them back into people uh it's kind of this balance of grim dark and fantasy nonsense that makes for a different mix i think than you see in a novel that's grim dark all the way through Actually, speaking of Henry Cavill's extraordinary buffness, I actually I mm. wanted to ask. <laughs> yes, please. Let's talk about I wanted to Henry ask Cavill's extraordinary Jillian, because <laughs> one of these um, like interviews or something I listened to, they mentioned that in the books, Geralt is described as being not that good looking, you know, in um, contrast to Henry Cavill, who looks like he was like engineered in a lab to be yeah. like, <laughs> like a real man that you would look up in the dictionary yes. or like, look up in the encyclopedia. So I'm just curious, like, is how much does Henry Cavill's like uh a preternatural gorgeousness match the description of uh of the character in the, in the uh, book the thing that about the character in the show that is very Geralt to me is that every single episode somebody tells him he smells um <laughs> yeah and i i think that and he takes so many baths too you can't win <laughs> <laughs> and yet he goes and soaks in monster guts in between <laughs> uh, right I think we that, see the one I mean, bath he takes every year. Uh, yeah, there's only one bath. Was there more than one? Did I one miss bath? a bath? I think there no, was. No, there, there's, there's a bath before Calanthe's <laughs> uh, banquet and also the bath at Yennefer's. Yeah, the, the, that one, that's the one it I'm might talking be, about. Is it two baths in one episode? How did I miss Are those a the bath? same episode? They might be. Mm. I think they're they're one episode apart. No, no, yeah. one episode apart. One yeah. episode four and episode five. He be he bathes. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 getting back to like, does it match the character in the in the book? Like, what do you look like? Uh, I mean, he's not an unattractive guy in the game. In the books, he's definitely more on the you know creepy guy skulking in the alley sort of scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are 
it's hard for me to say whether his, well, I think he is explicitly described as ugly a number of times, but I think it's a lot of it is people reacting to him as a non-human. And uh, a lot yeah. of it is people being revolted by the idea of him. Uh, he's kind of this, uh, he's, he's the plumber who goes and removes the nasty problem from your drain, right? Um, and they're treating him like this kind of underclass of people who solve your nasty monster problems, but you don't really want to interact with otherwise. One of these uh, YouTube videos I watched, um, again, this is sort of a, a confrontational title, but it's called The Witcher and Plagiarism. Um, but hmm. it's basically comparing um, Geralt to Elric of Milnibene and hmm. noting a number of very, very, very striking parallels. Uh, I don't... Um, well, the know, whiteness, I, definitely. Well, well, yeah, and I, and I don't generally tend to care if something is like similar to something else. You know, I mean, everything you could come up with is similar to something, but it, it is kind of there are kind of a lot of interesting parallels. Yeah, they're, they're both albinos. Um, Elric has red eyes, and Geralt has yellow eyes. Um, they're both called the White Wolf. Uh, they sure. both belong to sort of. They're both part of a culture, like in one case the Witchers, in the other case the aristocracy of Milnibene. That's very cold and emotionless, and they're the one person uh, in their order or whatever who who has feelings and uh, a moral center and stuff. Um, I don't think that's true of Geralt, though, at all, or of the other witchers, um, which is definitely getting ahead of ourselves because... Uh, are you saying this YouTube video was not yet. fully accurate? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying that... I, the, the thing about witchers have no emotions... Uh, I think it's fairly clear that this is a myth that is told about witchers, but it's not necessarily actually It's part true. of the prejudice against them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that when we do get to meet the other witchers, that it'll be clear that Geralt is not necessarily an exception. Hmm. Interesting. I know, does it, I know, I know. I only read one of the Elric books, and it was a long time ago. I don't know if anyone else... Ever I never, I could never, I had them all and I never read them, I couldn't get into it for some reason. Yeah, I haven't, I read, haven't them. read them. I mean, I, I feel like people talk about Elric, though, as if he is one of the sort of classic mm -hmm. sword and sorcery archetypes. So yeah. it'd be sort of strange, you know, I, I guess like, I guess maybe I'm just reacting to the fact they use plagiarism, which seems like such a strong word for it. But like, I feel like, like you were saying, like a lot of stuff, um, you know, is not wholly original, but but borrows or comments on, and and it wouldn't surprise me if that was maybe something that was in the author's mind. I mean, one thing, uh, apparently Netflix came out and said that this is the most popular Netflix show ever, I think. Really? First season. They said most popular first season launch. Hmm, okay. Um, what, do, what do you, what does everyone think about that? Um does that surprise? I found you? that utterly mystifying. <laughs> okay, I mean, I like it. I don't it's a think little strange, but I'm just like, why this? I, that doesn't strike me as strange at all, actually, because it not it the IP issue, which is why everybody's making adaptations. Um, and it's it's IP, you know, it's its origins are not just a novel or series series of novels, but a game mm -hmm. as well. So you're hitting two, um, maybe in some cases overlapping. Uh, communities, but also there's a separate, uh, the separate people who just play the games or the separate people who just read the books. 
So that doesn't surprise me at all. You're bringing a lot of eyes from but, two different communities. But I, I to feel it. like I don't. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but I feel like The Witcher three. Nobody knows the numbers. Netflix doesn't. No, no, I'm not talking numbers. about. Sorry, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the number, the sales of the books and of uh, oh. the, the games. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like The Witcher three is like a pretty well known game, but it's not like Call of Duty or something. And I feel like the books are like reasonably well known among fantasy authors, but aren't or uh, fantasy readers, but aren't you know. Wheel of Time or Game of Thrones mm-hmm. or something. So I just, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that just like existing fans of the IP by themselves. And I've seen a lot of people saying that they had never, I had never, and I'm unfamiliar with either. Yeah, that's what but, I'm saying. But, like, but also, mm-hmm. I think you're, you're, I mean, also, in this room, I'm the only one who's, <laughs> yes, you are. Um, yeah, well, but I also think a, you have to take, poll and we can extrapolate from that how many people uh, have played the games. <laughs> I'm going to, it's like 75% of people Yo. have it. So. Yeah. Um, but I think you're also, t- you have to take into account the fact that Game of Thrones, one of the most popular shows in the history of television, just ended, and people are looking for that next yeah, fix. Yeah, see, see, that sounds yeah. more more, yeah. more, more of an explanation to me, yeah. But then this isn't like Game, but then this is so not Game of Thrones, but apparently, yeah. and that sort of disappointed me, but apparently it's not disappointing a lot of people. Yeah, I don't think it, it, I don't think it benefits from that context because I think it's a different flavor of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it benefited just from the sense of I probably got people to take a look, but um, yeah, that's probably the wrong expectation to have going into it. Yeah. But that's, so that's kind of, because yeah, because I heard the the writer, you know, or the, the showrunner say that, yeah, like a lot of people went in expecting Game of Thrones and kind of, um, you know, didn't like the show because it wasn't Game of Thrones. But so that's kind of an interesting issue, though, is if if people weren't comparing it to Game of Thrones, maybe nobody would have watched it in the first place. And if they do compare it to Game of Thrones, a lot more people watch it and some percentage of them are are, are like, hey, this isn't Game of Thrones. This isn't what I was promised. But then there's enough people who have who are like, ah, this isn't Game of Thrones, but I like this, you know, that that maybe the Game of Thrones comparison is, you know, redounding to its benefit, even if it's not really that accurate or. Yeah. I mean, isn't that sort of the bet, I think, that a lot of times marketers are making when they take something and they say, oh, it's like this other thing you like. And that may that may be not entirely true, but the hope is that, well, you'll like this enough or you'll have tuned in or bought the ticket at that point. So it's fine if we, you know, don't have a completely accurate comparison, but it's close enough that people aren't totally furious. <laughs> and maybe it's called a bait and switch, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, bait and switch is when it goes wrong, and then if it goes right, you're like, oh, this okay. is, like, different from I expected, but I liked it just as much. Um, and maybe partly because there is so little fantasy on television, uh, you know, the Game of Thrones comparison happens because there isn't much else to compare it to. Yeah. And people are kind exactly. of discovering that there are more flavors of fantasy that they could be enjoying. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly if this is a as big a success as Netflix is claiming. I mean, I certainly hope it leads to more fantasy properties being developed. Yeah. And it's also interesting that, I mean, I think many more people know this from the game than from the books and video game adaptations into film or TV have like an unbelievably checkered. uh, Oh God. Yeah. You could just (laughs) say bad. I think you can just say bad. I'm trying to think. If there's any good ones, like nothing there, comes there to mind immediately. Uh, although I have Sonic a weird the soft spot for Prince of Persia, but 
Um, I'm I'm not, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. I'm just going to say that I enjoyed watching on a plane one time. It's visually fun, but there's, it's so problematic in so many ways. It was on recently and I sat and watched it and I was like, wow, this is worse than I remember. (laughs) Yeah. The Sonic the Hedgehog, February 21st or something. (laughs) That's going to redeem all video game adaptations. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I don't know if I'm going to hold my breath for that one. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So in a way, it's almost too bad that the that this isn't just a video game adaptation because it would be like the first successful video game adaptation ever. But it's like it's kind of a video game adaptation. I, I mean, they they said that they only I think they only had the rights to the books. Um, but like you know, I think Henry Cavill. But is Cavill's a huge Geralt fan is 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't his his costume look exact? I don't know what how detailed the description is in the books, but his isn't his costume basically exactly like the the game? It, it's pretty close. Although I, the rest of the costumes aren't at all. Uh huh. So I came across a article. Oh, uh, this is. I guess this is potentially a little spoilerish. For there was just a, an announcement Netflix made about season two. So I guess if you're super um you know, sensitive about spoilers and you don't want to hear Netflix confirming something about season two, stop listening now. Um, <laughs> but they, they said that, uh, okay, I'm going to give you another second to like get to your computer or iPad or whatever turned <laughs> off. But yeah, so they said that Vesemir is going to show up in mm-hmm. season two. Mm-hmm. So who is Vesemir and how excited should I be that he's going to show <laughs> up in season two? So Vesemir is uh, Geralt's mentor. Uh, he's an older witcher who's been around the block. Uh, he does the training of the witchers. Um, and I think they've also announced that the uh, the upcoming animated movie is going to be his backstory. Uh, so that should be interesting. I heard there was a, f- a fan petition for them to cast Mark Hamill as Vesemir. I, I, I did yeah. see that some online on Twitter. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I think somebody asked him on Twitter and he said, oh, yeah, sure. But he had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know how likely that it actually is to be. Um, is Vesemir Luke Skywalker? Probably not. Uh, but he is. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed. Wait, so he said sure without knowing who the. So he. He needs the work, I guess. Or just <laughs> well, he said sure to somebody on Twitter. That's not the same thing to as saying sure to a casting agent. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how serious that suggestion actually is. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody else entirely. Yeah. Um, so are there any, so, you know, we, we mentioned uh, Geralt has all these crazy adventures he goes on in this season. I'm just wondering if anyone, if any of them stick out in anyone's mind is particularly good or particularly unfortunate. I'm trying to, let's see, we got, we had the one with the dragons. We had the princess who was turned into like a zombie monster. Um, we had the genie. Uh, I don't know any, uh, which, 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 uh, Andrea, which, uh, which Geralt adventures stick out in your mind, either good or pro or con. Not all of them seem a little goofy um, (laughs) to me. Because that and that was, you know, the basis of one of my problems in the episodic n- nature of it. In that he's running around killing monsters, which I get, that's what he does. But there, that seemed the goofiest part of the whole thing to me. So I was just like, all right, I can clearly see that none of this is going to actually affect the overarching story of the story. So I'm just gonna like 
roll along with it and just accept it. But none of it stuck with me in any particularly favorable way. Anthony. Um, I, I would go with the one that I already mentioned, which is the episode three story, which is the, the monster that, um, has, is the cursed princess. And so it sets up this situation where, um, the Geralt basically has to fight, but not kill this monster, um, all through the night until dawn. And I just thought that was like just a really, really great setup of, of a constraint for your hero. So he can't just do the obvious thing. Um, and it, it also, it felt like it added an interesting dimension to the character that, that he, you know, that they just to, not that this is like particularly complex, but it just to see a degree of his heroism that he was willing to do that, that he wanted to do that made me like him more. Um, and, and so, and I, and I thought like just in terms of the way they shot that scene where for the longest time, um, you just didn't see the creature. You just heard people talking about it. And then when it finally comes on camera, like way, way into this episode, I thought it looked great and was like genuinely a well-designed, terrifying looking monster. And so I would say almost everything about that storyline for me worked really well. I think I agree with that. I think that's the most successful of the monsters. Um, and it's the most complete and coherent as a story. I think because it is a fairly simple story. Yeah, I, I I found that monster pretty unsettling in contrast to several of the other ones. Um, yeah, because I would say like, yeah, I didn't like the CGI spider in scene one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the genie the genie thing seems kind of weird. Uh, like the genie is, is, thing was inexplicable to like me. Granting wishes, like <laughs> granting wishes. That just seems like something out of a completely different story to me. Um, Jillian, what do you think? Is is capturing genies and getting them to grant you wishes? Do you think that fits into the rest of the Witcher uh, milieu? Oh, I think they had to include that one because it's such a key component of backstory between Geralt and Yennefer, but I'm not sure that story by itself holds up. Yeah. What did everyone think about where the guy turned out to be the golden dragon? Uh, that seemed pretty weird to me. That didn't bother me. It was fine. I think that's I pretty mean, well telegraphed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The dragon itself was maybe disappointing, but um, I I think it's m- another glimpse at Geralt's principles and that he's mm-hmm. saying all the way through, I don't kill dragons. Uh, and then it becomes clear why this guy sought him out in particular. Yeah. Okay, but see, it, the- d- it did seem like the golden dragon's plan was really bad because That's what I was about to say. It, yeah. it was about like this idea of well, I'm going to get this guy who never will never kill a dragon to come with me on this dragon killing mission, and then I'll you know con- change his mind at the end. But like that, he wouldn't have gone on the mission at all if um, if Yennefer hadn't been there. Well, he's essentially bringing Geralt as backup because he's going on the mission because he knows people are going to go try to kill this dragon, and he wants to stop them. Uh, and he's recruiting Geralt to, as his insurance in case something goes awry. Right, but but the plan is like he's going to convince Geralt to go kill the dragon, and then just assume that Geralt's going to show up before the Reavers, and then decide to fight them. It seems like a better thing would be like, hey, I'm a gold dragon. Could <laughs> you pr- help protect this egg? And here I'll fly you up. But gold to the dragons cave. are a myth. To make sure that we get there before the re- you know what I'm saying? Like it seems yep. like a very like Rube Goldberg yeah. sort of plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, if I was there, is also an awkward moment in that episode where um, 
uh, where the gold dragon character, uh, you know, he's fallen off the path and he's like, yes, you must let go and sacrifice us. And then he, he lets go. But then his, you know, bodyguard is still on the chain and you're not really sure. I mean, later on you realize, oh, well, she knew probably that he was going to turn into the dragon and fly away. But like she never says like, oh, yeah, you should definitely let go of the chain. You shouldn't try to rescue me or anything. And Geralt like just is like, oh, sorry, I'm going to let go of this chain and let you die. And, you know, and obviously the fact that, you know, she's a um, black character as well makes it kind of the dynamics of that scene were kind of weird. Yeah, and I think that fake out's another bad adaptation of the source material. Um, I think that in the the story, they're just killed uh, or is supposedly killed by a landslide. Uh, there's none of this "don't let go" nonsense. Yeah, and I'll, and the whole thing with with Dara, who seems to devote himself to Siri for no apparent reason that I can see and risk his life over and over for her and stuff. That also mm-hmm. it was sort of that anno- same annoying trope uh, to me. And it, I think it came up maybe even one more time in this season. But um, but yeah, so like we said, you know. Dara at least has a, a healthy sense of self-pre- <laughs> self-preservation. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, cool. So we're pretty much uh, running short on time here. Um, anyone... Have any other uh, subjects about The Witcher Season 1 that they want to bring up? I really like the music. Oh, we should say, yeah, I guess that the uh, that <laughs> Throw a Coin to Your Witcher or whatever song is uh, swept the internet. Uh, if you, people have been following. <laughs> Which I find else, mystifying. Though, is, again. I think it's just that song. Just that song. It, it's, a, it's a real I don't, I don't think anything else. Yeah. And I don't think anything else made that kind of impression on me. Yeah. Apparently they put out a soundtrack. Yeah. But, but for me, it was more just the regular orchestral score, which I found right. like very compelling and memorable. See, I almost forgot. So, Anthony, you sent around this link to a bizarre interview with the author of these books. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, a lot of people were tweeting it. It's awesome. Do you want to, mm-hmm. Anthony, do you want to just explain explain that? Um, yeah, it, it was, again, I, I just thought it was like funny and, and delightful. Um, so I don't actually know how to pronounce the writer's name. Is it Andre, Andre? As far as Zipkowski? I can tell, it's basically Andrew and then the W has a V sound. So, um, Sepkovsky, I think I, I'm not, okay. it's something like that. Um, but he, it was, uh, just where he was very, gruff in answering certain questions in a way that I found very likable. Um, I think the answer I remember most vividly was uh, they asked him how he felt about the fact that they were basically printing uh, new editions of the Witcher books and, you know, and to the tune of hundreds of thousands of copies. How did he feel about that? And he said, well, how am I supposed to answer that question? Uh, my emotions about that were, you can probably guess what my emotions were, and they were not particularly complicated. <laughs> well, it doesn't, I should, I should have, he says something like, what, what did you, what would you expect me to do? Cry? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're selling hundreds of thousands of copies of my book. What do you think? Um, yeah. but yeah, it's like such a, yeah. yeah, I guess it was over, um, email, you know, it wasn't, um, a phone conversation or anything. And and the an- the answers are like I guess yo he's making so much money off of this like he doesn't like he doesn't care anymore he can just like no, say he whatever care. he wants. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I, well, I like the part where he was, they they asked him if uh, if he had anything to do with the store, and he's like, no, I don't really like to work. 
required me to work, and I really just don't like to work. I'm yeah, like, well, that's the. It says I do not yeah. like working too hard or for too long. Is the yeah. headline of the yeah. article? Yeah. <laughs> well, they they also say like, what did you think of the show? And he says, I would have to be stupid to answer that question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, if anyone wants to check that out, it's over on uh, Gizmodo. Um, all right, cool. So we're uh, we're out of time. So let's, I guess let's get some final thoughts. So, um, Anthony, final thoughts on Netflix's The Witcher. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it's sort of a rough start, but overall, um, I think it's a, it's a really fun show. And I think it's a goofy show, but in a very good way. Andrea, final thought. Um, I, it, not groundbreaking television, not brilliant writing. But uh, thoroughly enjoyable, and I will definitely come back for season two. Looking forward to it, in fact. And Jillian, final thought. I definitely had fun. I think it was uh, stronger in some axes than others, uh, but uh, definitely a solid start, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, and I want my grown-up Siri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just for all, all my friends I mentioned who who gave up on this after you know in the first episode. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear where you're coming from, but because um, I felt the same way, as I said, but uh, it does get better and better. So uh, I saw some people suggesting you should just skip to episode four. Um, I don't know. Oh, then you'll be even more lost. <laughs> <Yeah. Right. laughs> so what you should do is you should just read all seven books and then skip to episode four <laughs> just to make it easier on yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, like and there's just as I said, there's so little good epic fantasy slash sword and sorcery that, you know. Uh, it's worth giving this one a try, even if it doesn't uh, grab you off the bat. Because uh, by the end, I, I, I thought it, I thought it was uh, pretty compelling, and uh, I'll give season two a try. All right, cool. So, uh, all right, let's wrap things up there. So, we've been speaking with Anthony Ha, Andrea Kale, and Jillian Conahan. So, thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And that was our panel. So, big thanks again to Anthony Ha, Andrea Kale, and Jillian Conahan for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit GeeksGuideShow.com. To learn more about your host, visit DavidBarrKirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.